I'm going to speak just a couple minutes tonight on guilt and regret. I'm going to start with Acts chapter 7, verse 58. If you have a Bible, if you can pull out your Bibles, you can follow along with me here. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, starting 58 through 60, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. This is talking about Stephen. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered in Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Now I'm going to take you back just for a little bit here to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now I don't know about you, but I would, I would venture to say that one of the greatest sins a man could commit would be to persecute the church and to murder godly men. If there was ever a sin that would be hard to forgive, it would be this one. God's very people murdered, and this man standing by and giving his approval, an actual participant. I talked tonight about guilt and regret, conviction and condemnation, and inner healing work. I refuse to camp here because of this reason. See, some love to stay camped around inner healing. And because you know why? Because they've never really been truly healed within themselves. Um, some love to spend all their time talking about their wounds, talking about all these things that God has come to heal. But if He's truly healed us, it won't be something we have to spend and linger around. Amen. See, the inner healing movement of the probably of the 80s produced a victim mentality. I don't want to produce victims. I want to produce warriors. Not buttercups. See, in these last days, the persecution is going to get greater. People that have been healed will produce people that have been healed. Our lives that are wounded must be healed. Otherwise, we'll just walk around like the walking wounded. The word, the word in the Greek, sozo, which means is the word for saved or salvation. It means saved, healed, and delivered. Guilt and regret can stop us in our, in our tracks. There's two things I want us to look at tonight. Guilt about things we've done, our sins, and regret about the things we've missed, missed opportunities. Some people will new, never move out of these areas because they get stuck. But tonight I want to strike a death blow to guilt and regret in our lives. See... Some time ago, I talked about condemnation and conviction. I'm just going to briefly go over this. Condemnation and guilt. is it, it, the, go, Guilt is what goes along with condemnation. It makes you feel bad. It makes you feel un, unworthy and inept. Conviction will make you feel bad, but there's hope and an awareness of God that you are His child. See, you're convicted because He loves you and you know it. Conviction is good. 
Conviction, we invite. We say, show me, Lord. Give me your direction. Holy Spirit, teach me your paths and your ways. The very, John chapter 16, verse 8 says this, And when He comes, and when He And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That word convict there is this word here. It means to reprove, rebuke, and discipline. It means to expose and to show to be guilty. In a a broader sense, it means to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose. I want to show you a couple of scriptures where this word convict is used in the Bible. In Matthew... Chapter 18, verse 15. It says, If your brother sins, go and convict. Show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won a brother. The same word is used in John chapter 3, verse 20. It says, For everyone who, who does, ev- does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be convicted or exposed. So it, I want you to see that there's a broader sense when we say this word conviction. See, guilt will lead you away from God. Conviction draws you to Him. Guilt focuses on me. Conviction focuses on Him. Guilt brings death. Conviction brings life. For us to experience inner healing, we must own our sin. We cannot blame others. Well, my father was this. It doesn't matter. Well, my mother beat me. It doesn't matter. My brother was mean to me. I had a rough life. It's your sin. Take responsibility for it. I did this. No one else made me do it. The devil did not make you do it. Yes, he might have enticed you, tempted you, and lured you, but it's your sin. Can you, you can never truly experience God's grace and forgiveness until we accept responsibility for our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Now I rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Do you mean that we can be sorrowful by God's will? Are you saying that, are you saying that we're supposed to be sorrowful? That's what he's saying to us? Yes, he is. He's saying it right here. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you may not suffer loss in anything through us. So he's, Paul says it this. He says, in, in a couple other translations, he says, I am glad that you were made sorrowful. I rejoice that you were made sorrowful. Yes, this sorrow is God's will. You can be made sorry in a godly manner. You were made sorry in a, if you're un, if you were made sorry in an ungodly way. You will not thrive. But when you live under guilt about relationships, your spouse, your friends, everyone suffers as a result of it. But Paul is saying here in chapter Second Chronicles chapter seven verse ten says, "For the sorrow that is according to the will of God." Now he's going back. He's saying that he's going back to the, the verse before this. Produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. What was I just saying? I'm telling you that a godly sorrow in your life actually will make you thrive. Mm, that hurts. But you know what I'm saying is that when that conviction comes in, it brings us closer. It draws us into this place with God. Now, if we're being pushed back, then it's not. Then that's condemnation. That's the enemy's guilt trying to put us on. But if it draws us closer to Him, if what He's telling you, listen, Greg, you need to stop doing this because this this pulls you away from me. That's conviction. Okay, you know what? I need to draw closer to God. But if it makes me push back. If it makes me not want to do the things of the Lord, then, it's, then, it, then it can actually be guilt that He's placing on us. That's the enemy. 
When you have godly sorrow, you become diligent to get right. What am I saying here? This. Worldly sorrow produces death. Day after day, guilt. Heaviness, condemnation, sadness, which leads us to, to desire to be numb with something. What's that something? Alcohol, drugs. I just need to escape. Maybe a relationship. See, many in the church live, abide, and remain right here. I want you guys to understand, when you see the church, don't, don't look at everybody in the church. Sometimes we say, well, the church is full of a lot of hypocrites. It is. Because you know what? A lot of people don't live out what the Word is saying. They have a form of godliness, but they, desire, they, they, they deny the power that's working within them. So what I want you to understand tonight is, don't measure yourself by who you see around you. Measure yourself by the world. I mean, <laughs> by the Word. <laughs> Woo. Call me there, didn't you? Glad you guys are listening, though. You knew where I was going. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. For behold what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yours. What indignation. What fear. What longing. What zeal. What avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. When you have godly sorrow, you become diligent to get right. To restore. To apologize. To be transformed. To be changed. See, guilt once dealt with and replaced with godly sorrow can actually motivate you to be on, more on fire than you were before. To be free of guilt, you must know the power of the blood. God's goodness and holiness is greater than the devil's wickedness. God's mercy is greater than man's sin, and it is greater than your sin. God's ability to fix things is greater than man's ability to mess things up. Why why you say that, Greg? Well, let's look at it. Romans 8.28 For He works all things together for my good. Now, this is not a license to sin, but He says this, even in my failure, even when I've messed up, He says, even when I don't do things right, He says, I can work those things out. My God is greater. He is bigger. He is more powerful. I think sometimes we give the enemy too much credit. God says, listen, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. You let me work this out. I'm the one in the background here. If you just allow me to work in you, I can do this thing. Every aspect of God is greater in perfection than every aspect of the devil's character. He is rotten and filled with imperfection. No matter how great our sin, God's love is greater. His blood is more powerful. No matter how stained our sin has made us, Jesus' blood can cleanse us and make us whiter than snow. No matter how dirty, how wicked, how far-reaching the consequences of my sin are, Jesus' blood absolutely washes me. It thoroughly cleanses me. It completely removes my sin from me. It throws it as far as the east is from the west. I may not feel clean, but I am more than clean, more than white, more than snow, whiter than snow. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together. Though, though your sins are like scarlet, that means double dipped. Though they, 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 they are double dipped in the enemy's, it, it, what the enemy wants to look, but he says, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Psalms 51.7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean watch me and I shall be whiter than snow he says how clear is that that's pretty clear I'm telling you guys he says this in Psalms 103 12 as far as the east is from the west so far as he removes his transgressions for us first John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness the record is cleared it is not the record in heaven is gone I want you to know this my sins no longer have 
have a record in heaven. They are no, see, when I, go to the, when I go to the heaven and I say, God, do you remember this? He says, no, I don't remember that because you know what? You put it under the blood. I have no record of that in heaven. I don't know what you're talking about. It's gone. I know you can't forget about it, but know this. I have forgotten about it. It is long gone. If God forget it, why would I keep bringing it up to him? He is like this. He says, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what you're saying because I don't see no record of that. It is thoroughly gone, washed, cast away, removed. There is no record. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. He says it not by, he says it not because of your sake, he says because of my sake. See, when he places it back upon himself, he's saying, listen, you're going to fail. But what I'm saying is, my character is perfect. Everything I do is perfect. I'm putting it on my name's sake. When I say it's gone, it's gone. It's my reputation. It is my character that is being influenced here. You don't have to worry about what what the world says. I say it's gone. It's gone. It's remembered no more. See, I know we don't have the capacity not to remember. For some reason, our minds will go back and find those things. I'm going to tell you a story. There was a prophet who would keep coming to a church. And there was a pastor's wife who was always nervous when the prophet came around. Because she had done some horrible things in her past. So one Sunday morning, the prophet was teaching and prophesying. And he called out to the pastor's wife. And she was just scared to death. He says... The Lord spoke to me, and He has shown me a sin from your past. So I asked the Lord, what is that sin? And the Lord replied, I don't remember. See, a a major reason people's hearts don't get healed is because of of the guilt that stays upon them. But I want you to know tonight, God forgives you. You say tonight, I don't qualify He qualifies you. Yes, you will not ever be good enough. Yes, you will never be able to achieve by your own works. Yes, your righteousness is a filthy rags. But he says this, I'll go and do it for you. Isn't that great? He qualifies you. He says, listen, I know you can't do this. I know you cannot live up to everything I put in the Old Testament. I know you cannot live up to that law. But what I'm telling you is this, I will qualify you. I will put you in right standing. Because you can't do it on your own. It's not about a feeling. I still feel guilty. Faith in what He did is what I have to put my hope in. It's faith in what He's doing in me. It's not based upon a feeling. It's based upon faith. I want you to think about this. Peter, James, and John. Great men of faith. The apostles. Paul, formerly Saul, where we talked about at the beginning of uh, when I read this first part of this. Here's Saul. A murderer. He's destroying the church. God gets a hold of him. He goes away for, some say seven, some say 15 years. But he's, he's gone for a while because he's, he's in, a, in a training ground with the Lord. He comes back. Here's Peter, James, John, the apostles. Paul walks up and I just imagine Peter going, What did you say your name was? Paul. Yeah. Um, formerly, I was Saul. Peter goes, I thought I recognized you. <laughs> See, but the difference is that name change wasn't just an outward change. It was an inward change. 
See, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and through 11 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. As such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. To be guilt-free. Wow, I have been declared justified just as if I never sinned. See, so I confess, I forgive, I repent, I apologize, I make things right. Then He places me into position that I could not achieve on my own. I am declared righteous and guilt-free. And His grace enables me to maintain that. See, I want you to understand tonight, when He puts us in this new place that we couldn't achieve on our own. Today, in America, of course, well, we say, yeah, He did that, but you can kind of do whatever you want. No, He said, I put you here, and because I paid for it, because I played for it with my blood, because my grace is sufficient, my grace will empower you. He says this, my grace brings you up to this level to stay at this level. Now does that mean we fall? Oh, we do fall. We, the Bible says if we claim we're without sin, then we're, we're foolish. We're only deceiving ourselves. But He does say this, I have empowered you. I've given you everything you need. Amen. Think about this. I see grace. It's that thing that picks us up by the back of our collar and says, hey look, I know you couldn't do this on your own. I put you up here. You're going to stay up here. I did this for you. Yes, the guilt is gone. But the regret sometimes stays with us. Imagine Paul's regret. Think about this. In Acts chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great miracles and signs and wonders among the people. This thing has been sticking with me for a while. I just want you to imagine, this guy Stephen, who Paul was there, or Saul at the time, was there stoning him. This guy could have been the next John the Baptist. The power of God was working in him. Imagine the regret that Paul would have had. Imagine the feelings of, man, look what I did. Think about this. Paul comes into Jerusalem. Who are the first women he meets? The widows, the orphaned kids. From the fathers that he destroyed. See, sometimes we think that our sin is so great. Who could, you know what? Nobody could forgive me. You don't understand what I've done. Paul understood. Paul understood because I believe there was a, there was a reminder constantly. Things would happen. He would see people. I just, I can't even imagine. Many times people struggle with being second-class Christians. We have this mentality that we will never achieve. We can't live up to this. I was a drug addict. I did this. You don't understand. I've been divorced. I've been divorced twice or three times. I committed adultery. I've wasted money on addictions. There are things from my past you just don't understand. But Paul says this, I do. 
I think I've probably done some of the worst to Christians. Yes, the guilt is gone, but sometimes the regret about missed opportunities with God, our spouse, our kids, our parents, our loved ones, they may just constantly be reminded of us. But I want you to think about this. In Luke chapter 15, verse 17, it says, When, he came, when it, it came to pass, when he, when, he, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Now this is the prodigal son. He says then in verse 15 and verse 19, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, he was willing to no longer be in the house. He was willing to be with the pigs. He was willing to be with the slaves and not in the house. But the Father, who is representative of Jesus, says in in verse 22 and 23, But the Father said to His servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on Him. Put Put a ring on His finger and sandals on His feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. See, many a Christian will stay in the servants' quarters when they could live in the mansion with the Father. Many a Christian will live at a distance, not accessing their rights as sons and daughters because of guilt and regrets. The son had to accept his father's forgiveness, and then he had to accept his father's gifts. The son even had to accept... Think about this. I'm willing to eat with the pigs, but we're slaughtering the pig as a celebration for me. I squandered all of your money, Dad. You want to celebrate me. I feel worthless. You see, put a ring on his finger and a robe around him. Can you imagine? Let's have a party for the wicked son who wasted his inheritance. But I want you to know tonight, let's look at who did, does the positioning. Last week, remember in Luke chapter 15, it says that those who were watching, Jesus Himself takes the position of a servant and He begins to serve us. He sets a banquet table. Now, in churches today, we kind of do the opposite. It's not Jesus who's putting us up there. It's ourselves. Look at the story here. It wasn't the son who said, I deserve to be in the, in, the, in the king's house. No, it was Jesus who placed him there. Are you following me? See, sometimes there's a, a theology that says, I deserve all these things. I, am, I have these rights. And we do. But the thing is, is who is positioning for it, for us for it? Do I get myself and I jump up here and say, don't you see who I am? God, here's, here's what you've got to do for me because this is who I am. He says, no, listen, I am going to serve you. See, this banquet was not set by the Son. It was set by the Father. Jesus puts us in position. It is Jesus who enables us and puts us in that position. See, when Peter denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times, it was Jesus who restored him. 
This is why God can expect so much from us. Paul, a murderer, an absolute hater of Jesus, he gets to be a part of the inner circle, an apostle. See, we feel like second-class citizens because of our guilt or regrets. I want you to know tonight there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Some of us have regrets that tend to stop us. But I want you to know tonight, there is a way to turn our regrets into motivations and passions for the Lord Jesus. See, I may have regrets, but do they motivate me or do they crush me? See, am I self-focused or am I God-focused? Or do I get... Do I walk this thing out saying, what if, what if that, what if this, what if this? No, I put myself in position and say, God, what is it? Why, is, why, is I, why do I do this? Because Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 7.11. For behold, what earnestness there is this very thing. This godly sorrow has produced, has developed, has sprung up in you. What vindication now, indignation, fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. See, that's what he's saying. Zeal is produced in us. This very thing that was meant to bring us down, these regrets, this guilt, is actually a thing that can propel us. See, some of us are stuck in guilt and regret and mired in the clay of the past. The the, the clay has hardened around our feet and we can't, can't even move because we're so stuck. We need to let the Holy Spirit's water tonight loosen that clay so that we can run again, like that song we sang tonight. What motivates some people to get stirred up when they have genuine regrets, it's this, the promise that all things work together for the good. If you know that God's ability to take your missed opportunities and work them for good, conforming you into His image, that's the real blessing. It can stir us up to cooperate with that miracle-working power that takes our blunders, our blindness, our deafness, and transform us and make us look more like Jesus Christ. Basically, as we see what we've missed and now jump into His mercy, we see our lives change. God takes our regrets and gives us a brand new opportunity to fill with right response, with right things. See, oftentimes, our past torments us. The future is scarring us and bringing us into bad choices. But I want you to know tonight, the past doesn't exist. What do you mean? Because, remember what I said, Jesus, God said? It's remembered no more. The only thing that really matters is what is done in heaven. See, when He says, I remember it no more, there's no record. This little record we have right here is a vapor. It's not going to last. The only thing that matters is what He's done in heaven. That's eternal. So I want you to know tonight, if you've put it under the blood, it is gone. It is done. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It is done. It is in the past. Now when I say that, it must be in the past. It cannot be something I'm presently walking in. It can't be something I'm presently doing because then it isn't in the past. It's not remembered because I'm practicing it. But when we give it to Him, it's gone. It doesn't exist. Remembered no more. See, do you realize how tormented and debilitated you have been over something that doesn't even exist? Think about that just for a moment. We get down and just works us over for something that is gone. It's remembered no more. Why would you meditate on something that doesn't exist? 
Paul said it like this, Philippians 3.13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our future is yet to be written. What if Paul, think about this, what if Paul got stalled and mired and couldn't stop thinking about what he had done to Stephen. Imagine meeting the widows and imagine, every time that happens, it just would just knock you back down. The kids coming up, you know, you took my daddy's life. Imagine if he had stopped there. He said this, no, I press on. This one thing I do, I forget what's behind me because it's not remembered any longer. Let these things catapult you, launch you, ever-reaching, ever-stretching. He says, ever-straining. I press on. Think about this. Aren't you that guy, Paul? Maybe that's what God's saying to us today. Aren't you that guy? I remember what you did. Or that girl. Aren't you that girl that used to do those things? No. My name's been changed. What do you mean? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I'm a new creature. I have a new name written down in glory. The only thing that matters is what goes on up there. Now, yes, we have to live in this world. Yes, we have to abide in this world, but I truly abide, I remain, I am in Him. That's the only thing that lasts. Don't let regret, don't let guilt of the past ruin you, mire you. I, I mean, I, I, picture, I picture clay wrapped around our feet. It's that regret and that guilt that won't let me move, and I'm supposed to be running. can't move until the Holy Spirit pours its water and begins to loosen up. Mm. Okay. Let go of me. Regret. You don't, you don't hold me any longer. Yeah, you know what? See, all these people, it's almost like the, all these situations, people, all these things are trying to grab at us and we say, you know what? No. I will not let it happen. I am a new creation in Christ. That's what Paul had to say. This one thing I do, I forget the past. I press on. I press on. Tonight, as we close, I'm going to just, I have a couple worship songs I want us just to, let's just stand.